It's our final week of the Awaken series. Next week we jump into Christmas and Advent and the lead up to that. Um, and Ori will be preaching, which will be really exciting. And so this week I want to talk to you about encouragement. Waking up to encouragement. Um, and, and perhaps a different angle in encouragement that you might have heard before. The word encourage is two words. The word en, E-N, encourage. And N means into something, to put into something. And courage, you're not going to believe this, means courage. That's right. So to encourage someone is to place courage into someone. To be encouraged is for somebody to place courage into you. So it's greater and more wonderful than just saying a nice thing to somebody. It's to place courage into someone. Now, when do we need courage the most? Always, yeah, like when we're scared, right? That's when you really need courage, when you're facing something that you're fearful of that seems enormous, like how am I going to get over that? That's when you need courage in order to uh, assail that mountain. So we're going to talk about fear in order to understand the importance and relevance of encouragement. Now, the root of fear is death. The root of fear is death. And I can, I can prove it. So if you follow any fear you have back to its root, its root is death. It's not life. And we all know that. Having fear in our lives does not leave us, woohoo, I love life. This is amazing. It leaves us with the opposite experience. So I did a little bit of research this week about different fears and different phobias people have. So let's do a little bit of a Q&A. Who here has acrophobia? Acrophobia is not a fear of acrobatics or acrobats. It's a fear of heights. Anyone here fear heights? Yeah, just, just me. I hate heights. And with someone who fears heights, when they're up at a great height, why do they fear those heights? Because they think they're going to die. Right? They think, oh my gosh, I'm so far high up, I'm going to die. So um, these phobias, these fears are caught up in, in, in death. What about this one? Pog... Pogonophobia. Pogonophobia. All right. Does anybody have a fear of beards? <laughs> That's what it is. There's actually a fear of beards. So my daughter, Zari, she has a fear of beards. So, and, and it goes like this. It goes, Daddy, you need to shave because I'm not kissing you until you do. Oh, breaks my heart. I think it's genetic though. Because I think it started with my wife, who has the same um, response when I haven't shaved for a while. Okay, this is this is a good one. Onomatopoeia. Hang on. Onomatophobia. Onomatophobia is a fear of. I'm not making this up. It's a fear of names. Now I don't know if if someone goes into a party, everyone's wearing a name badge, and they just freak out. Or if it's about the introduction and you, hi, my name is, and you're like, no, no, and you back off. Or whether it's in a form, you're going to fill a form in, it says name, and you just freeze up. I, I don't know how the fear works. But my all-time favorite <laughs> is this. Now, listen very carefully. I'm going to ask you for five seconds to have a guess with the person next to you what you think this fear is. All right, ready? Teratophobia. Teratophobia. What is that a fear of? Take five seconds. Talk to the person next year or across the room. What do you think it is? Teratophobia. <laughs> For people in zoo class have. Teratophobia. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Ready? I want you to raise your hand really high if you guessed this correctly. Here it is. Teratophobia is the fear of giving birth. 
two monsters. It's actually a fear. Now, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say this. I don't know if that's a fear of having a really, really ugly baby or it's something else, but it is actually a fear that people have that they're going to somehow give birth to a monster. I've got friends. Uh, I've got a friend who is fearful. He, he is terrified of cotton wool. I mean, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? That is a terrifying thing to have. It's so fluffy and gentle and lovely. But if he walks into a chemist, things can go really bad really quickly. I've got another friend who's fear is belly buttons. Belly buttons. Yeah, so the beach would be an absolute nightmare, nightmare for her. The epitome of what we fear is death. So a survey done a long time ago of what are the greatest fears people have Number one, or number two, rather, number two is the fear of dying. So people's second greatest fear in this survey was the fear of dying. Their first greatest was not the fear of names or giving birth to monsters. It was the fear of what? Spiders. Spiders, no. Anyone else? Public speaking. Has anyone got that fear? Because if you have, I'll just ask you to stand up to share a few words with us about that. It's, it's not that bad, actually. Public speaking, it's, it's actually okay. But what that means is that at your funeral, you prefer to be in the box than giving the eulogy, right? The box looks better than standing up and, and talking to everyone. And so fear cripples us. It prevents us from doing what we really want to do. And fear is like a black hole. You know, it sucks everything into it. When you're fearful, it sucks everything into it that God wants us to have. And so it affects our future or our health or our relationships or our money or our salvation. And we get trapped in there like we got sucked in against our will and we're stuck. So we look at our relationships and we start to fear that they're going to go bad. They're going to break down. Our friends are going to reject us. The work will be horrible. That we'll be rejected with, with, with things. That we won't have enough money. That we'll get sick or we'll stay sick. That we won't. Um, that our lives won't amount to enough, and to enough, or we won't be as good as that other person. And the fear strips us of all these wonderful things God wants us to have. So what does God say? What does God say? God says, "Fear not." God says, "Fear not." He says, "Do not be afraid." He says, "Be bold and courageous, for I, the Lord God, are your God. I'm your God. That should be enough." What are you being fearful of? It's enough that I am your God. And we go, well, I wouldn't tell God this, but that's a lovely sentiment, but it doesn't work. right? Because God clearly doesn't understand how this fear thing works. If he thinks it's that simple, that I go, oh God, well, you're God. So of course I shouldn't be terrified of some of the things that I'm terrified of. You see, we resist the gravity of God's call to come out of the black hole of fear and we give power to our fears. We entertain them. We give them fuel. We give them reason for existing. We make them bigger than God and God's power. But when we adopt that stance, when we give our fears more authority and more permission than we give Jesus, we are saying that death is more powerful than God. Now, that should be shocking, right, to hear that. Hang on, I don't do that. Not when I, that doesn't mean what, it, what I think it means. Like, when I'm fearful, does that actually mean that I'm saying these things are bigger than God, that death is bigger than God? Because that's not right. But if you are holding on to fear, it's because you are convinced that death is more powerful than God. Now, realising this is actually helpful. It's actually really, really helpful. Because... 
I want to tell you what Jesus did to death. Because this is great news. So if we have fear, and that fear means, oh, I'm thinking my fear at death is greater than God, then let's look at what God did to death and understand that. And we do that by listening to what Paul says to the church of Corinth. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing and he's getting his preach on. I reckon at times when he was like in full swing, his scribe was freaking out. Like, I can't get all this down as Paul was getting really into it. And this is one of those moments. So in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 54, so he's been at it for a while. He says this. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. That means when our bodies and our flesh are empowered with the Spirit of God. When Jesus' flesh becomes that divine sacrifice for us, then, Paul says, shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, Paul says, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus stole the sting from death. Right under his nose. Gone. He left death impotent, powerless. He stripped fear of its power over us, except for what we would give fear. That verse 58 says, therefore, sums it up. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Look at what Jesus did to death. He literally took the sting out of it so that, therefore, as verse 58 says, we can keep chasing after the things of God. We don't need to fear anything. Jesus has dealt with the fear. He's taken the sting out of death. It no longer has any power. You see, our greatest encourager is Jesus. He's the one who puts courage into us. And these words, when we read them, they they, they place courage into us. And not just a a courage that that disappears with the wind, but the courage of God. The power of God is imparted to us when we take this on board. In fact, time and time again, the words of the Bible, the words of the scriptures, put into us the courage of God. So that we would be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Courage is what God gives us to free us from our fear. Now, if you had arachnophobia, which as Rach hinted at before, is a fear of spiders. Does anyone hate spiders? Fear spiders? (laughs) She hates putting her hand up in front of everyone. Oh, let's go with cockroaches. They're just... Alright, so if you had the fear if you had the fear of spiders, right, or cockroaches or mice or whatever those lovely things might be, you'd need one of two things to solve that fear. The first is you need the courage to find a spider about the size of my hand, just sitting on the table and just walk up to that spider with courage and love and allow that spider to crawl under your under your hand. He's he's just stroke that spider or that cockroach 
And you just, that little mouse, you just stroke that and you'd be like, oh, you should come and live at my house and you'd have a special room in your house where you could put the spider and the spider would be in your house all the time right next to you. Because you would have the courage to do that, right? Your fear never goes away, but your courage steps on that. You either need that or a big hammer or fast running shoes, right? And that's another way to get rid of a spider. But we go, I, I, can't, I can't do that. That means courage helps me move past my fears. It helps me move through my fears. Courage never takes away the fear. It gives us something greater than the fear. And sometimes we get stuck. We go, I'm just going to wait until I'm no longer afraid. You will never, no longer be afraid. But you can have more courage than you have fear. But it's more serious than just a spider or a cockroach, which I know you're all going to befriend this week. It's going to be great next week, just hearing all those stories. Fear cripples us from moving toward the things God wants us to have. From moving toward becoming the people God wants us to become. See, courage helps us move through our fears to live in the place that God has given us. Now, let me give you a real life example. About six months ago, the village, when we gathered, we had a conversation about fear. And a number of people, I can't remember who they were, but a number of people said, I'm just scared to share my faith. Like it's, it's, a, it's an intimidating thing. It's a huge thing. How do I put words to it? I, I don't like being caught in that situation where somebody asks me and I have to share my faith. I don't know what to say. I don't want to muck it up. It's something really vulnerable and special and precious. I, I don't want to taint it. Um, what will they think of me? What will they think of whatever I share? Um, how do I handle this? And, and we let our fear disempower us from the very thing God has given us to offer to others. God has said, I've given you my spirit. Go and talk about me. Share about me. I'll give you the words to say. Don't worry about that. And we cling to our fear and we go, actually, it's, it's too much. I'm too scared. But God has given himself to us. He said, share me. Fear has no right to stop that. So Jesus... It's a regular four o'clock thing, isn't it? Jesus dealt with death. And if you follow him, you cannot spiritually die. If you trust in the author of life, death has no sting. There is life on the other side of sharing your faith. And it is a wonderful life. And it's a life God calls us to. You don't need to be scared. It doesn't even matter what they think of you. What matters is what God thinks of you. And God wants us to be his witnesses and his bearers and his offerers. You see, we're saved not just to inhabit heaven one day. We're saved so that heaven can inhabit here. That's awesome. It's like, what? I'm saved so that more of my life might usher in what one day we'll experience in our fullness. So that means we need to take the courage of God and move beyond our fears. It means accepting the courage and the leading of God that he gives us. It means giving more weight to that and more weight to what God says than the weight we give to our fears. Now, has anyone ever abseiled? When I first abseiled, it was one of the most scariest things I've ever done. And it went like this. So we got up the top of this cliff that must have been like a thousand meters high. You couldn't even see the ground. It just went on forever. And the guy's like, okay, what we're going to do now, I'm going to tie a rope on you and you're going to walk off the cliff and you'll be fine. Like, That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. As so he puts the harness on you and he buckles you in and you lean back and you're like, you're well away from the cliff face. You're, like, you're leaning back. You're like, oh, I'm doing it. This is great. And he's like, 
we haven't even got close to starting yet. And so he gradually ushers me to the edge of the cliff. My heart is beating out of my chest. My legs are like jelly. And he goes, okay, lean back. And I lean back. And he goes, no, 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 lean back. I go, I am leaning way back. He goes, no, no, no. Now you want to go like horizontal. I'm like, I, I'm not going horizontal. And so we have this to and fro where he's gradually coaxing me. And, 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 and like after 10 minutes, I am horizontal like this. And he's like, you're not horizontal. Get back. And so eventually I am, it was terrifying. I'm standing like horizontal on a vertical cliff. And then he says, now go down. Walk down. Like this is the most ridiculous sport I've ever thought of. And so I'm like, but and he goes, the rope can hold you. Look, you're, you're leaning on the rope. You don't need to fear anything. Just go with it. And so I started to go down. And you do the, oh, I am flying down at such a rate of knots. And you go halfway down there and you're like, this is actually cool. And you start, start to get a bit of speed up and then you get to jump and then you get down the bottom. And then I'm like, that was the most incredible thing ever. So I go back up, I all went back up and I said to him, I want to go down face first. Because we don't do face first. I'm like, <laughs> who's the scared one now? And so we went face first. Face first abseiling is amazing. You've got to do it. We, you, you end up, when you're in that space, putting all your trust in this tiny, tiny little like string of a rope. And you're convinced you're going to plummet to your death until you realize, oh, that's not what's going to happen. I'm completely safe. God is greater to us than that tiny little piece of rope. We can trust God on the things He asks us to do, the things He leads into, the things He's already said to us to do. We can trust Him in that. He is trustworthy. He's proven He's trustworthy. He's shown He's trustworthy. And then He invites us to test that out. See, we go, I can't, I can't share my faith. God's already asked us to. So we can trust Him because He's already said it. It's not a crazy idea we have. Forgiving your enemy, you can trust God on that. Being honest at work, you can trust God that that's a good call. Being generous to somebody in need, being hospitable, you can trust God on that. He's already asked that of us. Caring for the outcasts, we can trust God in that. And if you're not convinced, you just need to pick up your Bible. Read into the New Testament. You'll stumble as you go through Mark. You'll be like, oh, yeah, I am, I am, I am called to that. And a whole bunch more. I can trust God on this stuff because he's already said it. One of the things we're going to do next year is we're going to um, do a reading plan where we're all going to do it starting in February where we read our Bibles every day. And there's not going to be a lot to read, but every day we're all going to read the same thing. And then on Sundays we're going to talk about it, at the small groups we're going to talk about it. And the value is, the reason why we're doing it is so we become so rich in what God says that it doesn't matter what anybody else says. That we'd have the courage to do what God is calling us to do because like, God said it and God is faithful. I can trust God. I'm moving toward that. Now, those things I mentioned and all the things I didn't that have been ticking around in your head of going like, I hope God hasn't said I have to do that. I might get off the hook that way. They are terrifying. They're meant to be scary. They're meant to be challenging. But fear has no power to stop you trusting God. That is a choice we make. Fear is not strong enough to do that. That's what it means to be encouraged by the gospel, for the gospel, for the things that Jesus has done to put courage into us so we can do that, which we weren't able to do. And if you read through Acts, you'll see the encouragement was what caused the church to grow stronger and healthier. 
There's so many times when it's just, it's time and time again, people were encouraged and so they went out and did things that they never would have done if the Spirit of God wasn't in them to enable them to do it. And they did good deeds, they served the poor, they shared the gospel, they lost their lives, but they weren't fearful because in losing their life, they gained their life. And God met them in their efforts and multiplied their impact. They dug this channel and God did the rest. They encouraged each other to do the things out of what Jesus had done for them. You see, if Jesus has dismantled death, he has conquered that which you fear. It's already conquered it. It's already taken care of. It's not yours to hold on to anymore. So don't give it the authority it doesn't have. Don't validate its presence in your life. In Jesus, you have no need to fear. Now... I've got a bunch of friends who don't know Jesus yet and who have been praying for like nearly every single day. And I have found myself being fearful that the witness I offer isn't enough for them. It's not enough to ever bring them into God's kingdom, to see them saved, to, to um, engage with that. And, and that's kind of been this, this sort of fear that has been knocking around uh, my mind. My fear is that they have everything, they think they have everything they need. Why would they need Jesus? But my heart longs for them to know Jesus like I do, to, to taste the fruit and the joy of Christ, to, to be engaged by the love of God. And so I've been praying for them for the first time ever this week. One of them asked me about church, completely out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it. We just chatted about whatever. And they asked me about church. And they said, does your church have a Christmas service? And I wasn't even sure if they knew like I was part of a church or any of that, right? I was like, oh, yeah, we do. And I, I told them, about what it looked like based on what it looked like last year. So it's just casual. We come, we eat together, we share a few words, we think about Christmas, the kids are engaged, we sing some Christmas carols. It's just an awesome time. And their eyes lit up. You know that when you say something and they're just like this. And I was just like, wow, that's cool. You're right in this moment more excited about it than I am. This is, this is awesome. And their eyes lit up. And then they started to share their previous Christmas church experiences. Well, there weren't a lot of them, but there'd been some connection with church here and there. And their parents had been part of a church but didn't want to be religious, so they got and done this different thing. And we chatted about faith. And we chatted about God. And I literally found that I'd accidentally stumbled into this conversation. But I was like, oh, I don't, there's no pressure on me. There's nothing to fear. This person is actually seeking. They're on this road, this journey. They're seeking what God is wanting for them. They might not be able to articulate that yet. But the questions they were asking, like, God is stirring this. God is answering my prayer. There's no need to fear. Things that I put permission in my fear, give my fears permission about, what is the point? Because God is greater than those things. And I need to cling to God and hope in God than cling to those things. And so the conversation went through until we were interrupted. And I realized, reflecting back on that, that we can let fear strip us of the hope we have in Christ. And with no hope, we don't pray. And when we don't pray, God's actions are slowed. And when God's actions are slowed, everything starts to die. And fear wins. And no one gains anything. But Jesus is the king of life. In him, we have life. And we have it to the full. And in him, we have the hope we need to offer that life to others. So be encouraged to keep praying. Keep praying for your friends. Keep praying for those people God brings upon your path. Keep praying for your friend, your family who don't know Jesus. Keep praying. Keep loving. Refuse to feed the fear that lies behind those things. 
push through it because God has placed this courage in you. And if you give your life to Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, into you as God's spirit has been put. It resides in you. It lives in you. So God lives in you. The conqueror of death lives in you. There was a song written some time ago that captures it brilliantly. I love this line. It says, the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. So what chance does fear have, really? Only the chance we give it, right? Even when we're anxious or we're unsure or we're frazzled or we're overwhelmed, we need not fear because the God who resides in us now can overcome that fear. He can. You know that every mention of courage in the New Testament, everyone is accompanied with a reference to God. It's never, encouragement is never seen in the New Testament separate as a concept from God. It's always tied to God. And it's like the Bible is saying that we can only find the courage to do what God asks us to do from God. The courage can't be found anywhere else. It's always connected to God. So what area of your life do you need to let the encouragement of God speak into? What area of your life do you need to let the encouragement of God speak into? Is it that dream you put on hold? You're like, I couldn't, couldn't do that. Is it a relationship? Is it an opportunity you've had in the past or you have right now that you're just like, you know, I'm not, that, I couldn't do it. Maybe there's a constant worry that you're like, I wish I could just shake this one. Maybe it's something you're trapped in. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something else. What area of your life do you need to let the encouragement of God speak into? So I'm going to wrap up with a story. Um, some months ago now, um, we uh, background, Zari loves playing on playgrounds. So does Hamish. She loves climbing. And some months ago, we went to a playground in Frascott Park. Um, and they've got this massive spider web. It's probably 30 foot, 40 foot tall. And um, on this particular day, she took matters into her own hand and she scaled it right to the very top. She got right to the top, like she was sitting up there. And you know, you know that feeling when you're about to go on a roller coaster and you're like, oh my gosh, you get that, your, your stomach sinks, you're like, this is going to be bad. I had that feeling looking at her perched on the top, waving at me saying, daddy, daddy, take my photo, take my photo. So I took the photo, she came down, my nerves calmed. And I said to her, what were you thinking? Because I know what I was thinking when she was right at the top. What were you thinking when you were right at the top? And she says to me, there's not a word of a lie. She says to me, oh, daddy, I wish I was 12. She's four, right? I wish I was 12. Why? She goes, oh, because then I could jump off. (laughs) Right, so we're going from 11 to 13. But there's other times when she climbs up the same spot and she gets stuck. And when she gets stuck, fear starts to overtake her, right? So she knows she can do the whole thing, but sometimes she gets stuck, sometimes fear overtakes her, and she always says the same thing. She calls for me and gives me an instruction. The instruction is this. Dad, I'm going to jump, catch me. That's what she says. Now, she doesn't wait to see if there's any affirmative behind that, or if I'm ready, or if I'm in position. Or if anything, she literally says that, oh, Dad's there, and launches. And every time, so far, I've caught her. If she does that when she's 12, we're both in trouble. 
But every time I've caught her and I catch her, this big lump, and she turns to me with this beaming grin on her face and she says this, she goes, I knew you'd catch me, Dad. I knew you'd catch me. And then she wriggles out of my arms and she runs off and does something else. Do we say that to God? Do we get so caught up in fear and so tied up that we're just like, I'm just going to leap into God. God, I knew you'd catch me. God, I knew you'd be there for me. See, that's the security and the intimacy. God, our Father, calls us into. Wants us to have that regardless of the predicament or where we are, that we would go, that's all right, God, you've got me. I'm going to jump. See, out of that place, we learn to offer God to others. So you can trust God in this. Let me show you what this looks like. Let me walk through with this. So what area of your life do you need to let the encouragement of God speak into? Because you can trust God. And as we reflect on that question, I'm going to play just a few, few minutes of a video of those lines I talked about before. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. And you might want to sing along, you might just want to sit or kneel or do whatever you need to do. But bring that question to God. What area of your life do you need to let the encouragement of God speak to? Because the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. We should no longer be submitted to fear.